This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Taryn Hayes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lydia Project. Today's episode was recorded in 2020, and it is one of those stories that may find you ugly crying unexpectedly. If a stillbirth story is something that you may find really difficult to listen to, then this may not be the episode for you. But if you are able to persevere, our guest Alexa shares some really helpful insight into what it's like to cling to God during real suffering, especially suffering unexpectedly when life has always been easy. She also very helpfully shares her views on how we can care well for those who are grieving or suffering. And one last thing to mention is that this episode is punctuated with many sniffles and grunts from her very young baby, who was strapped to her chest for the duration of our chat. If you're anything like me, you'll find it endearing. And hopefully, it won't be too distracting. Hey Alexa, welcome to the Lydia Project. Thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to see you. For listeners' benefits, I am having a Skype conversation with Alexa at the moment, and strapped to her chest is a beautiful two-month-old baby boy, and he's just gorgeous. It does mean that we might have some snuffles and that kind of thing. It might impact the sound quality, but I'm sure everybody will actually just find it more endearing than anything else. So thanks for bringing him along. He's so cute. I'm going to have to concentrate on what you're saying and not be... (laughs) constantly smitten by this little gorgeous little one he's so cute okay enough about babies I'm far too pretty Alexa tell us how did you become a Christian so I became a Christian at about six years old I uh, my mom is a Christian was a Christian at the time as well obviously and she took me to Sunday school I had really good experiences at Sunday school and when I think it was late afternoon. I remember sitting on my bed with her and she explained the gospel to me in terms that I could understand and said, you know, did I did I want to to pray the prayer? And we sat and she led me through a prayer that con- you know started my relationship and my walk with Jesus. And it was fairly, you know, fairly kind of stock standard run-of-the-mill Christian home stuff with the exception that my dad's not a Christian, unfortunately. But I was very lucky to have my mom, my aunt, and my mom's mom all, you know, kind of leading by example in really great ways. That's fabulous. And so you were very young, that you were about six. So how did your journey go from that point onwards as you hit high school and, and your early yeah. 20s? So, you know, as as I think most Christian journeys go, that especially ones that start that soon, it was a bit ambulatory. So <laughs> there were <laughs> there were there were times that were better than others. School I was generally I mean, I'm a very A type personality and I think that it's it's quite easy for me to follow rules and that made it very easy for me to be compliant the whole way through school. When I got to my twenties I had a bit of a negative church experience, actually. I started at a, 
a church which seemed great, lots of young people, everyone was very kind of relational and I got really sucked in. And then they started preaching what I could blatantly see was was heresy. Like they they told me that if you hadn't been baptized in water, you weren't going to heaven. And therefore, ach shame, all those people in that church down the road, you know, the, guess where they're going, you know. And and I was just not okay with that. Then they started pushing me to get baptized, which was a little bit unnecessary in my mind. And so I broke ties with them, but I also broke ties with church as a concept for a while, for a few years, in fact. Not with not with God, not with quiet times, but with church. And of course, when one does that, it's a lot harder to actually stay motivated and stay the path. And so the quiet time started slipping and other things started slipping. And then one day in, I think, 2009, I was living in Kenilworth with a friend, sharing a flat or a little townhouse. And we, and I just felt convicted to what I thought was going to be church shopping, but my shopping only <laughs> had one stop because, yeah, the Lord just called me to St. James. And after one service in 2009, I have missed very few services since. So that, and that was, I think, the beginning of my, my adult Christian journey. You know, so I kind of had a, a childhood Christian journey, which was fairly linear until the break and, and kind of me just getting to know God in a childlike way. And my adult Christian journey, which was more getting to know myself as a slowly maturing Christian. So for the benefit of our international listeners, Alexa's from Cape Town in South Africa, and I have the benefit of knowing Alexa because she arrived in my home group, or actually, truth be told, I arrived in her home group when my husband yes, and I took over yes. leadership of a group that was already established, and it was a fabulous time many years with, with you guys and just all of us kind of being challenged by what we were studying in the Bible and some very vigorous discussions and and just a lot of biblical growth. And I've been very encouraged to see that the growth group has continued and people have joined and there's this ongoing, wonderful growth that I've, that I've been watching from afar through a WhatsApp group <laughs> that I get to be a part of. So that's very encouraging. Other little clues that you are South African, as you said, the term, ach, shame. Do you want to tell our listeners <laughs> what that means? <laughs> is there even a definition? Uh, I think shame is one of those those almost punctuation mark words that goes into South African speech pretty much anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think in context it was it was pity. Yes, yes. It's oh dear. Ach shame. Mm -hmm. Oh dear. Yeah. Yes, oh dear. But it gets yeah. used for many things. It can even be used in relation to your gorgeous bundle in front of you. If I'm seeing him for the first time, I might go, oh, shame, he's so cute. And that just yeah. means, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, uh, crazy South Africans, aren't we? <laughs> Alexis, so that took you to your 20s. And between then and, and now, I mean, you're now married, you've got a little baby boy, you have, have you got your PhD officially yet? I know you. I have received my results, but I haven't had a graduation. So you're not allowed to call me doctor yet. I need to officially wait for somebody to bonk me on the head. 
which may or may not happen live in December, depending on what's going on with COVID. But I have a PhD, but I still need to actually be conferred officially. Okay. So your conference is a conference? I don't know. <laughs> My graduation well, your graduation will be in December. Be a, yeah, it could be a Zoom graduation. It could be. I don't I'll know. be bitterly disappointed. I'm sure I feel for those people who've had Zoom weddings and Zoom baptism and Zoom funerals. That must be really, really hard just to not be there in person. So challenging times in many ways. So PhD in what, Alexa? A PhD in education, looking specifically at self-image in teenagers and ways in which a creative movement and improvisation can help teenagers basically to just have a more solid and more positive view of themselves okay so creative movement is does that mean dance yeah but it's not something that you necessarily have to have a dance background to do it's all improvisation and the kids come up with their own movements so it's it yeah it's more it's more physical movement than dance per se yeah yeah okay that's fabulous so You've mentioned teaching, you've mentioned dance. Tell me how this all works in your life. Are you a dancer? So I am a high school teacher and one of the subjects I teach is dance. I also teach English and I have in the past taught history and a subject called life orientation, which for non-South Africans is kind of like guidance. Anyway, so so that's kind of the psychology side of things. And so, yeah, so I'm a high school teacher that teaches dance and some other stuff. And I also just really love to read and to research. And so I cottoned on to a research or an academic called Vygotsky, who's an educational psychologist. So that's how that kind of marries in. But basically, my area of focus during the daytime is teaching high school kids. Okay. But not right now. Right now your focus is on care. No. For a little yes, right now I'm on maternity leave, which is fabulous and goes by far too quickly. But I go back for the fourth term. Yeah. And you were telling me earlier that, that thankfully it's a slightly easier re-entry with exams happening and then school yes. holidays it kind of gives you a not a not diving into a full program, but but yes. piecemeal would be great. Now, Alexa, your journey into motherhood has been quite traumatic. Yeah. Could you, would you mind sharing some of your journey? Sure. How about you start start with the wonderful man that you married? Tell us a little bit about him. Oh, he is wonderful. So Craig is, how do I start? Sure. <laughs> we met out, believe it or not, probably the only man in my life that I have ever given my phone number to on request. And in fact, in fact, our meeting, what's funny about our meeting is it's just so uncharacteristic because he's very introverted and yet managed to walk up to me and have a conversation with a complete stranger and then asked me for my number. And I consented to give his, him his number, but not before I grilled him on, on his religious viewpoints. <laughs> Then and there, anyway, and it turned out he was a, a very much a Christian, lovely, godly man, comes from a wonderful Christian family. My father-in-law is actually a priest, 
So everything kind of just shifted into place beautifully in terms of what I was looking for. At the time, I wasn't looking for, you know, a relationship necessarily, but I knew very much that the next relationship I have needed to be with somebody who was spiritually mature. And definitely if that was going to lead to a marriage, then, you know, that was very much a deal breaker. So I definitely got what I what I needed there. So we met in 2012. We got married in 2016. And... Yeah, he is in finance, so very different to me. But we we laugh a lot. He's very funny, as you know. He looks after me. And so so far, marriage has been a lot easier than people tell you it's going to be. Everyone says it's going to be so hard. I'm still waiting for the hard stuff in terms in terms of our relationship. Life is hard, but but our relationship is easy. And that's fabulous. That's not always the case for many people. Many people have to really struggle through their own sin when they come together and having to sacrifice. But you've been really positive. It's been really good to to hear your story. And Craig is the king of dad jokes before he even became a dad. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And now he's got legitimacy. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah, getting back to the question beforehand, little Caleb is... Not your firstborn son. Can no. You tell us a little bit more about your story. So Caleb is actually my third son. In 2017, 20, yeah, in the 2017, Craig and I decided, cool, we've been married for almost a year. That was kind of the plan, was to be married for a year and then start, start trying for a baby. We really just start trying for a baby. I figured it was going to take quite a while because I do have an autoimmune condition that affects my thyroid which often affects fertility and all sorts of other things. So I sort of upped the ante on the health, started preparing myself for what I thought was going to be a difficult fertility journey. It was not because about two months into trying, we had conceived our first child. Everything was going wonderfully. I loved being pregnant and... Then suddenly, very suddenly, at 23 weeks, I didn't know I was in labor, but I ended up delivering Daniel at home at 23 weeks. I had three hours with him. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get emotional through telling this story. So we had, we had three hours just to kind of cuddle him and be with him. And he then, <clears throat> he passed away. So that was, yeah, he was just, he was too little for the doctors to do anything with. And the theory was that my, well, my diagnosis at the time was incompetent cervix, which basically means the, like the Tupperware lid that's supposed to keep everything closed and everything in, it breaks its seal. So that was in May, 2018, that we lost him. Craig and I decided we weren't, you know, we were ready for a baby before. We're still ready for a baby again. We weren't going to let any kind of time pass. We were going to try again because, you know, there was no reason to believe that that a second pregnancy would have the same kinds of problems. And there were some interventions that my doctor was was planning. So we then again, within, I think, a month of trying, conceived Joshua. And unfortunately, despite some intervention, in December we had... A fairly similar situation this time, though, I sort of had a better idea of what was happening. So I was in hospital for a few days before with them trying to stave off the labor. 
they tried everything. I mean, my doctor really did everything in his power to make me not go into labor. But unfortunately, I did go into labor. Joshua was born sleeping. And that was, yeah, that kind of left me saying, well, I'm not trying again. It's not, it's not going to happen. Let's adopt. And then I started researching because that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> and researching and, yeah, and, and reading and reading and reading. I, I'm not, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to tell the story in the kind of what happened phase. And then I'll, I'll go back and retell the, the how, how God's involved phase, if that's okay. So, so I started reading and reading and reading. And I discovered that the best possible intervention for what doctors believed I had was to actually have an operation before falling pregnant again, where they go in laparoscopically and stitch my cervix closed. Often you do what's called a circlage, the stitch, you do that vaginally often and when you're already pregnant, but this version is sort of, it's more invasive, but the the results are more likely to to be positive. So I thought, Mm -hmm. and the reason I'm telling you this is because generally doctors will want you to try one before the other. And I said, no, 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 we're not having any more guinea pigs. You know, if I'm going to fall pregnant again, I want want the, you know, the maximum insurance policy. And so we decided to go, fortunately, I have the most amazing gynecologist who kind of lets me call the shots. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, I want this. And he said, okay, just let me make a couple phone calls. And he made a couple phone calls and he referred me to a surgeon who was willing to do it. And so we did that in June of last year, June, July so of be last June year. 2019. So I feel like this episode might just air in 2021. So it'll be a bit confusing. Oh, so in June, wow. Okay. So June 2019. 2019. Yes. And in October 2019, I was taking a pregnancy test. Wow. Yeah, which of course then started a successful pregnancy, but obviously a very angst-ridden pregnancy. But yeah, the the end the end result is this little guy who's now strapped to my chest, who was born on the first of July. So so yeah, that's kind of the 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 string of events and and how it happened. And obviously the you know with the first one there was just complete shock because I think you know when you fall pregnant there are a million and one things that you worry about. But all of them involve worrying about what my baby's going to be like when he gets here and the, the life that he's going to have, not whether or not he's going to have life, especially when you get to 23 weeks. You know, normally the, the worry is in the first trimester. Once you get over the 13-week mark, then you, you know, you're allowed to tell people and everybody relaxes. And unfortunately, in my situation, that was quite naive. But I mean, you know, it's not like I could know any better. No because I had zero signs of anything, zero signs of, of labor whatsoever um, until about two hours before I delivered. So it was very shocking. And it really just felt like, you know, the bottom had fallen out of the earth kind of thing. But what was amazing in all of this is that whilst I felt bitterly, bitterly sad and shocked and traumatized and all of those things that one would in a situation like this, I also felt a tremendous sense of peace and a very sure understanding that this was God's plan for my life 
might not be something I like right now, but that's that kind of I needed to or that I was prepared to submit to God's you know plan in for my life, as difficult as it might be. I suppose maybe in some context, for me, my life has always been easy. You know, I kind of like my family always joke about me being born with a silver spoon in my mouth because if there was something I wanted to do, I just kind of did it. I mean, not in any like Hollywood story kind of way, but I had never really dealt with disappointment. And this was obviously a very, very, very big disappointment. And then it happening a second time was equally difficult in the same ways and in different ways. And I think that the whole journey really taught me to rely on God fully and not on myself. And as I said, I I did have a tremendous sense of peace the whole way through the experience. I've definitely grown to trust and rely on God more and to kind of go to him a little, maybe a little bit more quickly than I previously would have. But what's amazing, I think, is that in, you know, in the most difficult times, in the darkest times, I had a very real sense of God pulling me towards himself, not the other way around. It wasn't a case of me seeking him. He was actively seeking me. That was a really wonderful kind of love to feel in a difficult time. Absolutely. What a journey that sounds. And I mean, you know, having watched from the other side of the world, uh, just devastating. How did Craig handle it? Sure. Craig is my rock. Oh, dear. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. We, uh, for, for, for the audience, uh, for the listeners, um, the the baby on the chest just turned into a velociraptor (laughs) so yeah Craig Craig is incredibly strong and Craig you know when Daniel died Craig just handled everything I didn't even know half of the because I mean unfortunately when you know when someone dies there's there's admin you know so he was dealing with with undertakers and hospital bills that the medical aid decided that they didn't want to pay and you know phone calls from people and he didn't even tell me half of it because you know obviously I was grieving and he was just kind of giving me space to do that I think he he took a lot on he supported me incredibly but I think he you know he had a a similar a similar experience in that it was shocking but there was an acceptance that this was this was our journey and we were just going to have to kind of get through it. Yeah. Now, in the past, you've spoken that the two of you really were able to work through it together. So mm-hmm. how, did, how does that look, working through something like this together? So we talk a lot, a, a lot of very open, very honest communication. And I think also just kind of sensing when the other person needs space or when they need a pick-me-up. I mentioned earlier that my my husband's got an amazing sense of humor, which is hugely helpful. So we laugh a lot together. We tend to, especially when, when we're going through kind of difficult times, we tend to kind of cocoon with just the two of us you know kind of shut out the outside world just the two of us focus inward focus on 
we talk about us us and and just kind of check in with one another and you know communicate as much as possible and care for one another both of us tend to have acts of service as our as our love languages and so you know small things like you know who makes dinner and that kind of thing tends to tends to make a big difference as well in supporting each other now again from being the outside looking in you speak about this ss and the two of you were just kind of clung to each other during this time and i know from you know from experience of going through hard things myself and through supporting others that very much in the church community there's a desire for people to help others in ways and i know that obviously sometimes is you know providing meals or providing opportunities to talk but as you've indicated not everybody is mm. the same and some people need a different way to mourn and grieve some people need mm. to to be the assets in order to go through that process mm-hmm. so having gone through this what would your advice be to people outside of your situation what what was helpful what wasn't helpful mm. that's yeah i'm actually really glad you raised that Taryn so both my husband and i do prefer to grieve very privately and i didn't want to talk to anybody at all at the time and a lot of people do find that very difficult to understand so what i did actually at one point is i just switched my phone off because i was getting so many messages and people naturally obviously want to reach out in support and i can completely understand that but at the time it was quite affronting because i just get to my get myself to a point where i wasn't crying for 5 minutes and then somebody would send me a message so i think if you are going through the situation i think don't be afraid to set boundaries and to to allow yourself to grieve the way you want to grieve if that means telling people to leave you alone then you know i don't think you should feel guilty about that so i very nicely did say look we just want to be a family by ourselves for now please you know don't visit it if you want to support you can pray for us that was what i told people and when i needed to i just i switched my phone off and i left it alone and i made a point of only reading messages when i was in a space where i felt i could deal with it which was often once every third day you know and that's that's fine and i don't think you must feel pressure to communicate with people if that's not something that you are up to one of the things that was very difficult for me was kind of reassimilating into society after daniel died I had an amazing boss who just said don't even think about it I don't want to see you at work for 6 weeks. So I had space to be by myself and to grieve at home and to not have to go to work, but that almost made it harder than when you do start showing face. I've now got two nieces and a nephew, but at the time I had two little nieces and an older nephew, but but he's an adult so he he was less of a concern. But at the time I had two little nieces who were four and very excited about getting a baby cousin and then suddenly they weren't getting a baby cousin and obviously that's very difficult to understand when you're four and i had a lot of anxiety about talking to them almost guilt about yeah. talking to them and so part of all of that was i did seek counseling i managed to get a referral for a christian counselor she wasn't well 
a counselor who is also a Christian. So it wasn't that her yeah. methodology was necessarily Christian, but she is a Christian and she was fabulous. And so talking to her helped hugely. The other thing I did, which I think was a really good point of catharsis, but also I <clears throat> helped with that anxiety with my nieces is I wrote a little children's book, short age appropriate children's book, basically about the loss of a baby and gave them each a copy. And that helped them to understand things a little bit better, but it was a really helpful process for me. I did write a couple of blog posts, you know, so I chose to get my emotions out in the way that worked for me. Um, and that will look different for everybody. Some people need to talk about it. Some people need to sing about it. I needed to write about it. That's just kind of, and, and not talk to anybody and, and try and avoid seeing people. I think in terms of supporting others when they're grieving, just generally, I think you really need to take the lead from the grieving person. Something that was very unhelpful that some people did was make mention of emotions that they thought I might be feeling. Then you suddenly get a, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. And then you kind of get, get a, you know, an additional, you know, painful thought or emotion or somebody mentioning, uh, you know, a, a detail from your pregnancy. Um, now, it's, it's so funny because when you read and I, you could almost see that my friends had read these articles because the articles online about <laughs> how to support how to support a friend who's lost an infant. And you could, they were doing verbatim the eight steps that were in this article or whatever it was. <laughs> and often they tell you, you know, to use the dying per or the person's name that's passed away. And that was something I wasn't okay with. So I think it's important to not, to understand that not everybody grieves the same and to almost keep your questions, I, I would almost keep your questions and your statements as general as possible and let them take the lead. And if they want to talk about something or they use a name or raise a detail or say, I'm feeling like this, then run with it. But don't, don't say to somebody, oh, you must be feeling X or, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, that you don't get to hold your baby or uh, things like that. Rather keep your words as broad as possible and then see where, where that goes. That, that would have helped with me. Everybody is so different. And I suppose it depends on, on how much you, how well you know somebody. But at the same time, I would never have thought that I would grieve the way that I do until I did. Mm, yes. I'm incredibly extroverted. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I don't have an issue talking about myself and my life and all my private details that, you know, I'm, I'm relaxed and I'm very, very different ordinarily. But in this particular situation, I was, you know, I wanted to call into my little hole and not talk to anybody, um, which is very unlike me. So if you had asked me a year prior, how do you think you would react to this situation? I probably wouldn't have answered correctly. So I can hardly blame people for not handling me the way I wanted to be handled at the time when I didn't even expect. That's why I think being as, you know, kind of approaching as as broadly as possible and then seeing, you know, what direction that person wants to go is probably the safest bet. I think that's really, really good advice, especially that since you've just said that you didn't expect to grieve in the way that you ended up grieving. And it's so vastly different to the personality that you know yourself to be and everybody else knows you to be. And I mean, I know you to be somebody who is not afraid to talk about difficult things and and to 
and to talk and discuss, you know, discuss things. So I imagine for your friends, it must have been very bewildering, not knowing this is a different Alexa that they have never yeah. encountered before. <clears throat> they love you. They want to show their support for you, but just being very bewildering. So to know retrospectively that it would have been better maybe to ask more broader questions is actually really helpful for for other scenarios that they find themselves in a position of needing to support somebody. So yeah, I think I think that's really helpful. And hopefully those who are listening who have often wondered, how do I support somebody through grief? That that's a, a, a really good starting point to remember. I'd never thought about it before, to be honest. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I was one of those people that used your baby's name and thought that was a good thing. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we, we learn on the journey together. Mm. Yeah. How, obviously it's, it's still very raw and still hard to speak about these things now, but what is it like now? Do those things still, do you still feel that people using baby's name or asking you very pointed questions is something that is, is unbearable? No, now I'm a lot more comfortable talking about it. Pregnancy was a bit tricky. Because, of course, and this is a bugbear I have, somehow, you know, we don't ask people what, they, what they're earning, but we can ask them anything about their pregnancy and childbirth journey. Yeah. And, you know, so invariably, you know, people who don't, who haven't known me since 2017, 2018, um, would, would say, oh, is this your first? And, oh, and, so and, hard. You know, it's, here's the conundrum, is that people almost incensed when you, if you give them the real answer, you know, because they don't expect it. And at the same time, I don't, I don't want to lie because I feel that that is, you know, not honoring my other two children. Mm. So that was difficult. But depending on how people handled my answer to that question, if they, you know, if they weren't shocked and horrified and ran away, then I'm very comfortable actually talking about it. So I think that a little bit of distance has done, you know, a significant amount of healing. But it also depends on what space I'm in emotionally. You know, like there, there are days that I'm more willing to talk about it than others. There are days when I'm more sad about it than others. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, I mean, that's certainly my experience with grief, that there are days when, when it's a lot harder than other days. And it's it's a funny thing speaking about our kids and trauma because it's in speaking about it. I mean, as I'm hearing you, it's very close. For you, it's entirely understandable that it is so emotional still, but it will still be entirely understandable in 10 years' time if you speak and it's it just hits emotionally. You know, my story with Katie, which is nothing compared to what you've gone through, hits me emotionally when I talk about it, and I'm always surprised. Because I'm, I'm telling somebody the facts of what happened, and she's fine, and yet the emotions almost always hit. So mm. it's a, it's a very, it's a very strange thing that I, you know, we have no formula for. We just kind of got no. And I don't do think it. it becomes. I don't think that that grief becomes less intense. I think it just visits less often. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? I don't know where I saw this recently was such a great illustration of grief about like it's always existed it was an illustration of like a, a square with a with a ball in it 
and the ball was grief and and then life was like this other ball bouncing around and this ball of grief was so big that you just you know you first have it you hit it all the time like it's just mm. there it's so present but over time it shrinks but it's still there and so you you engage it not as much because it's not all consuming but when you hit it you hit it it's the same mm. thing that you're hitting and and you hit it the same kind of way i've it's seen that illustration and it's a it's a really good one yeah yeah i just found it helpful because i feel that i feel one of the unhelpful things is the what the eight stages of grief or whatever it is mm. because there's an there's this thinking that you've got to, you come out of it at the end and, and somehow it's fixed where it's and more like you, you go have through to it all the time. And that you have to experience all stages. I never had anger. I know that it's very normal to feel angry and to, and to, you know, ask why me and all that. I never had that. And, the, you know, that doesn't mean that there was anything unhealthy about my grieving. It was because I had this peace that God gave me for which I'm very grateful and so that I didn't have to go through the questioning and the anger. But that's, you know, essentially I missed one of the one or two of the stages of grief. Yeah. yeah. And to assume as well that that we go through those stages linearly and mm. that you have to go through stage one in order to, to successfully go through stage two or whatever. Yeah, Where like it's a video own, game. Exactly. And my experience of grief and, and certainly of what I've observed is that people tend to, tend to kind of bounce around all over the place, moving from one to another or skipping them entirely. And, and for some people, it hits them years later. It's just, I don't think you can f give it a formula. But what I do appreciate from what you're saying is the knowledge that that God is, he's the big picture in all of this, that he's mm -hmm. in control. And it isn't really encouraging to hear that alongside such sadness and such grief you also had that sense of peace how did you talk to god about this i think probably the only topic of conversation between the two of us was please just get me through this yeah and praying for just like emotional stability that makes it um and praying for just help to feel better and to work through my emotions and to kind of move through the season that we were in because you know I mean yeah. I knew that I knew that we would move through it in whatever way and that we wouldn't be that bitterly unhappy forever and so just praying that that God would help me get through that and trusting him through my subsequent two pregnancies that whatever was in his plan was you know it was going to happen and to just kind of stave off my anxieties, you know. So yeah. the, that that was that was really what what I asked of him, and very much what I got was just comfort. I suppose is yeah. the best word. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing this. I know it's not easy, and and yet I think that there are probably a lot of people for whom this is going to be very, very. What's the word I'm looking for? Informative and encouraging for those who might have gone through hard things as well maybe a bit cathartic as well yeah so that's been a pretty significant part of your life you yeah still have a little one who's only two months old there's there's lots of things to, to look forward to in the future our next question general question is what ministry are you involved in at the moment and then our next next question is 
what's big on your radar at the moment or what are you passionate about? Either question actually would be fine to answer. Well, look, I mean, in terms of ministry, I'm quite fortunate that I am placed at a school, which means that I have access to a whole lot of young people. And actually this year, because my school has a campus that has a an early learning school, a prep and a, a high school all on the same campus, I've actually been sneaking away from college during the day to teach grade one Bible. Oh, wow. Which I, yeah, I have been absolutely loving. So, so just a little bit of background in terms of me and ministry. I, because I'm a high school teacher, the first ministry I kind of got into when I decided I want to start serving at my church was youth ministry. Absolutely loved it because I am really passionate about teenagers, particularly, and that kind of phase of, of, of life. And did three years of, of youth ministry. It, it is quite a high energy service and it's also quite time consuming. And so it wasn't something that I could sustain into a marriage and be fair to my husband. And I then went into doing some Sunday school or children's church. So teaching younger kids on a Sunday morning, also lots of fun. And I took a little bit of a break through all of my pregnancies and loss and all of that kind of stuff. And then this year, at the beginning of this year, I started doing ministry on my own campus because I thought, you know, it's there was a need, first of all, because the so the prep school offers kind of religious instruction as a, a lesson in a week cycle. And you can choose between doing Bible or they've got a an Islamic class and then Everybody, oh no, they've got Jewish studies. Sorry, they don't have an Islamic class. And then you can do moral is the default setting, how to be a nice person. So there was a need for Bible teachers because there's one mom who kind of runs it all and does it very much on her own steam, but needs help. And so I've been looking into, there's nothing going on in the high school. I have been trying to get something going, like a CU going in the high school. We unfortunately didn't manage before Corona, and then we went into lockdown and online schooling. So it hasn't happened this year. So that is, I suppose, to answer your on-the-radar question, that is mm -hmm. very much going to be my priority for next year. But I, I, so I started talking to her, hoping that she could help us with that, and realized there was a need in with the little So I said, well, I happen to be free every second week in that lesson. Instead of sipping coffee in the staff room, I go down and teach Bible to grade ones, which is so much fun. And it's there's quite a, a sweet little re relationship because they know that I'm one of the, the teachers of the big kids. And it's very special that one of the big kids teachers comes, you know, to tell us about the Bible. So, yeah, so that's the ministry that I'm doing, not right now, but have been doing and will go back to when I go yeah. back to work. It's such a rewarding age. I remember reading two grade ones and just the joy and the excitement and they just, they just think you're the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. It's very affirming. Absolutely. And everyone's got a story and, and everyone's had a similar experience and needs to tell you about it, but it's, yeah, it's lots <laughs> of fun. And then, yeah, my... My big project for next year is to hopefully start a CU in what is a very, very secular school. I think schools that I've worked at before, it's probably been a little bit easier to be a Christian. I think that this school, it's quite difficult to be a Christian. And I mean, there, there are lots of ways in which being liberal is wonderful and and 
good for teenagers, but there are yeah. lots of ways in which that makes it very difficult if you have the wrong alternative view. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. That's another kettle of fish entirely. Hey? Yes, that's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> On, on your radar at the moment, certainly sounds like teenagers have been on your radar for years and and very much so. So that's next year. You're hoping to get that off the ground. What else is on your radar? I think obviously being in the, you know, in, in the season of pregnancy and birth and newborn, that is also very much something that's, that's on my radar and supporting other women going through similar experiences and and just women who are going through pregnancy and, and having babies. It, it's very interesting to see how there's a there's a lot of fear mongering, I think, around the birth experience and and which was completely the opposite to my experience. I had fortunately, you know, for all the trauma I suffered with the first two labors that my my lovely planned c-section was was very calm and <laughs> and, and not yeah. what i would have initially wanted at all but had to have but was actually quite a pleasant experience and and i feel like we are always told all the things that can go wrong to the extent that we expect it and you know i i've been speaking chatting to a lot of women who've recently had babies and you know, there's all this like, oh, what if I don't, what if I don't have enough milk, you know, but actually your chances of an oversupply are actually higher than a ch- your chances of an <laughs> undersupply, really. And, and, but, but we are told that this thing could happen and therefore we're scared of it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that I have a bit of a bug about at the moment. And I'm not sure how, how, how that's going to translate into action, but I do, I do feel it pulling me somewhere. So when you say putting you somewhere, you mean in terms of maybe doing some education on these things with mums in the future or that kind of thing? Okay. Well, I can see you going down that road. It sounds Mm. entirely Alexa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To the the point that I had a, a, he's got a slight tongue tie, which, not tongue tie, lip tie which I just wanted a second opinion on because it wasn't giving us any trouble, but I just wanted a second opinion on. So I went to a lactation consultant and she, you know, a fisherman sees a fisherman from afar. She honed in on it. It's like, you know, have you ever thought about a career change? (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. It's like not right now. Yeah, too much change been happening lately. Oh, man. Alexa, what... Yeah, so you, you're going to be heading back. You've got so much on your plate. What actually keeps you keeping on growing, growing, standing firm, growing as a Christian? So I have, as you mentioned earlier, I have a wonderful growth group who are just all very real and very approachable and down to earth people who've, who've become my very, very close friends and many of whom I have gone through a lot with. And meeting with them every week, even through Zoom calls now at the moment because we're still on lockdown, that has been a huge encouragement and a wonderful way to to keep on keeping on. And, you know, they are fabulous at checking in with people and encouraging you and, you know, 
the extent to which I am prepared to share my personal life is the extent to which I will get support. Yeah. You know, it's very, it's obviously, I think in situations like that, it's very easy to not share and to make like things are hunky dory, but, but it's very much worthwhile being a little bit vulnerable in spaces like that with close, with close Christian friends. So so my growth group is tremendously supportive. My book club as well. We've got a, a Christian book club that you actually started that's yeah. still going even though you're not here. And so I think Christian Christian friendships is is probably the broadest answer to that question. Christian friendships is very much something that has held me accountable, has helped me. I've got another friend who is actually now at working at a different church. She was at St. James. She's now just working at a different church, but we still meet regularly and and chat and pray together and read the Bible together. And and that's really, really helpful. Having a Christian husband is also hugely helpful and his family as well. And then obviously, you know, I mean, the most generic, but it's generic because it's it's so true, is, you know, just diving into the word and being being encouraged and renewed every time I mean, you can read the same verse five times over and just be smacked in the face with with different truths from the same verse every time and that's really encouraging yeah that certainly is in your answer on our guest form you said that the book of hebrews has been pretty important to you to tell us why mm-hmm. the reason i love it so much is it's i think it's just such a beautiful picture of the sheer majesty of of God and of Jesus and the the extent to which you know we often are failing I think as human beings is we see we see us at like level one and God at like level three and really it's us at level one and God at level three thousand to the power of infinity and we, we struggle to we we struggle to grasp that and and often a lot of our sin i think comes from that and our our objections to the gospel i was i was having a really good chat with somebody yesterday it was a gospel conversation and and we were she you know she was trying to she was just grappling with this idea of you know how can a loving god not let people into heaven and we had a really great conversation about it but but i was saying to her, you know it's because we we think that we deserve that because we somehow think that we're close enough to God to to deserve access to heaven. But really, uh, God is so great and so holy and so majestic and so awesome and so wonderful that that it really is an unimaginable gift. And I feel like the Hebrew, the language of Hebrews, captures that for me. Mm. Well, that's wonderful. Alexis, it's been really lovely chatting with you. I'm really hoping that p- people who've been able to hear this have have been able to walk away with some new tools in their how to care for somebody who's going through grief toolbox and to think about these things, especially in the light of the gospel and who Jesus is. So that's super, super encouraging. Thank you for chatting with me. You're most welcome. It was good to chat. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 